14th of July, and don't tell me this town ain't got no heart. Get more San Francisco than going to a dead and company show at the ballpark on a Friday night. That's what Jillian and I are doing. Looking forward to seeing one of the, what, the last ever kind of Grateful Dead shows. I mean, without Jerry, it's, it's not the Grateful Dead. We all know that. But this is as close as you can get. I'm wondering what the, the Sunday night encore is going to be. Maybe bring out Phil for one more box of rain. You know, he doesn't tour with many more, but Phil can just get out there and do the the box of rain. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to be emotional. I'd love an estimated profit. I'd love a fire on the mountain. Those feel like songs that I would say for the last show ever if I were the Grateful Dead. I don't know what they're going to be playing on Friday night. Going to be an interesting set list tonight. I'm in. Jillian and I are in. And we're so glad that you are into the plus once again. Welcome back to the Damon Bruce show. It's wonderful to have you here. It really is. And what do you know? Last night we saw Trace Jackson Davis finally pull back the curtain on his NBA career. Well, at least the summer league portion of his career. And he was on a minutes restriction. But look, he had 14.7 rebounds, four of them offensive rebounds, an assist to steal a block in just 20 minutes. And folks, I hope you saw... What I told you, you might see when you see Trace Jackson Davis, I'm sure several of you for the very first time, you're going to see a basketball player. You're going to see a guy who knows how to fit in on a basketball court. He knows where to be. He knows how to put his hip on an opponent. He knows how to use his feet. He is fundamentally sound. He uses his body. I mean, there's a guy who just knows how to play the game of basketball and trace Jackson Davis, and hopefully the Warriors can get a player out of him. I was impressed by what he did last night. I thought it was a very good debut for Trace in a small sample size, but you saw someone who understands the court pacing, spacing, and just the sort of things that, let's face it, a group of Warriors rookies in just rookie class pasts didn't really have about them. They didn't have that only to be learned through constant on-court reps because you played a lot of basketball before you reached the NBA. And, and look, this kid is a 23-year-old man. And he's seen it all, done it all on a basketball court. And he didn't look uncomfortable at all last night. Uh, you know, the Warriors were, though, talking about having a, a team that could go and compete in Las Vegas for that summer league title. And look, they're 0-4. Uh, that's not good. It's not necessarily a bad thing either. Summer league titles and $2.50 will get you a ride on Muni. So they're, they're kind of worthless as it is. But you do want to see this team hopefully pick up one win. It's better than to be defeated. I didn't need an undefeated summer league, but to be completely defeated, that that's not very good. And look, Brandon Pajemski, I'm trying to see the glass half full. I really am. Uh, and there are moments to absolutely see that half full glass. He can see the floor. He can see the floor, but he also last night had five turnovers, and that's more turnovers than he had shots made. And on the standard of whatever standard we're holding our guards to, that does not meet anyone's standard. That wasn't very good. What was even worse for Pajemski is last night in that game, Houston, who picked right after the Warriors took Pajemski, they took Cam Whitmore.
Now, Cam Whitmore is a guy whose medicals and apparently his poor interview process and a lot of NBA teams said this kid is just immature and we didn't like the way that he came across in his interview and the medicals are less than 100%. So no on Cam Whitmore. And Cam Whitmore was a name that fell and fell and fell and fell and fell in this draft. He was there for the Warriors to take. They didn't take him. They took Pajemski. Well, the Houston Rockets took Cam Whitmore and last night, you know, after Mr. Santa Clara didn't have a particularly good game, couldn't help but notice that Cam Whitmore has been a total summer league stud. Uh, he had 26 points, four rebounds and assists in a summer league record, eight steals last night. So, you know, if you're looking for even less enthusiasm about Brandon Pajemski. Just look at what Cam Whitmore, who could have been that Warriors pick, is doing. He looks very comfortable. Lester Keonis was uncomfortable last night. He was 0 for 9 from 3. Like, dude, you're just Lester Keonis. I understand it's a summer league game, but you don't have a green light to the point where you can go 0 for 7 and think I can keep shooting. You know, shooters got to shoot. Lester, calm down. What I did like is that he had eight points and eight rebounds to go along with an embarrassing night from the floor. So that maybe means there's something to salvage there. But uh, I don't want to hear that he's about to be the, the Jordan Poole replacement. Come on, stop it. Um, but it was good to see. Really good to see Trace Jackson Davis last night. I've been waiting for that one personally. And I'm glad that he did not disappoint. Uh, he did not explode off the screen He's probably not going to be doing much of that this year, but serviceable minutes and not looking way over your skis is something the Warriors have gotten out of very few rookies. I think they're going to get it out of Trace Jackson Davis. I really, really do. Uh, one more NBA story, and it's an important one, so I need to share it with you right here now at the top of the show. Uh, Jimmy Butler's dating Shakira. Whenever, whenever, whenever be together, Jimmy Buckets, you come here. Eastern Conference near. Jimmy Buckets is getting Shakira? The two spotted at a romantic dinner in London, cozying up with each other? Dude, Jimmy Buckets. Mr. Swipe Your Lady. That's, that's impressive. Really is. I bet Rachel Nichols is happy there's somebody to just take her off the rumor page for a minute when it comes to Jimmy Butler. Do Shakira and Rachel Nichols look a little like each other? Kind, Not really. Anyways, go Jimmy. You didn't get the NBA Finals, but looks like you might be getting Shakira. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a bad offseason. It really isn't. By the way, I'd rather be at a Grateful Dead show tonight in San Francisco than a Shakira show anywhere. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, baseball is back, but before we officially invite you to lean into the second half, I want to officially invite you to join this guy for lunch today. That man right there is Ike. He wants to feed you. He wants to feed everyone at your office. He wants to feed the whole world a delicious sandwich, and you can find one just by going to your phone and hitting Ike's app. Yeah, you could go through like Uber Eats or DoorDash, or you could go just through Ike's app and earn sandwich reward points and eat for free down the road. Believe me, it's the way to go. Get yourself on that app. Find the Ike's nearest you 
and either show up and order it yourself or use that app to have yourself one of the most delicious sandwiches ever invented here on planet Earth. That is my guy, Ike. We've also got my guys, Uncle Boys. Uncle Boys, a delicious cheeseburger right from the inner Richmond, Balboa, and Fourth. Get yourself an Uncle Boys burger. Get yourself the French fries. Get yourself the onion rings. And then do not forget, how often have you ever been in a burger spot and had even an option of lumpia? You got lumpia options. I suggest you exercise your lumpia option. When you are at Uncle Boy's, you'll be happy that you did. Uncle Boy's is fantastic. It's a San Francisco original, and I love it. You're going to want to get yourself a burger at Uncle Boy's. Pick it up and enjoy one this weekend indeed. And speaking of picking it up and enjoying it, pick yourself up a bottle of blackened whiskey from my friend's from another San Francisco band, Metallica. Uh, it is an incredible bottle of whiskey at a great price point. Find it at BevMo. If where you buy your liquor doesn't carry blackened, you tell them. Order a case, and as a pluser, you will feel obligated to come on in and buy at least half that case. So go ahead and stock up on Blackened. You'll be glad that you did. It is fantastic. It never disappoints. And look, how often do you say this about a baseball season? It's not disappointing. There's really nothing disappointing about this baseball season if we can just remove any and all Oakland A's anxiety from the uh, equation here in the Bay Area, which is very hard to do because that anxiety is well-founded and well-earned. Uh, baseball, in spite of the A's, and this is what makes this interesting. I saw in Forbes this morning that the league is seeing rosy numbers in television viewership, digital streaming, audience, actual people buying tickets and showing up to games. And there is a shift now to a younger demographic. Baseball's getting out of its 50s and into the 40s. So an audience getting a little bit younger, coming back to watch baseball. And what is amazing about that, after baseball's been on at least an attendance decline over the last nine years, what's great about all of that, and this sucks for A's fans, but what's kind of incredible for baseball is you figured that to have the entire sport trending up in just about every single measurable metric out there that all 30 teams would be pulling on the rope in the same direction. One of them, the Oakland A's is decidedly not the game plan of the Oakland A's wasn't to get those fans back. It was to drive them away and keep them away. So the fact that percentages of attendance and viewership and Tickets sold are up across all of Major League Baseball with one of the franchises actively working against that is pretty impressive. Um, and it just makes you want to say out loud at the top of your voice, fuck John Fisher. And boy, does he deserve that. Ah, a little too early for the sip of the day. We'll get there, though. Baseball second half begins officially this afternoon. We got five divisions where the first place team has a, a two-game lead or less when you factor in tiebreakers. So Ken, we, we kind of went over this yesterday, but it's worth going over again because that first half was very tight, very competitive, and hopefully that's what we get in the second half. The Braves are running away with the National League East. They're probably not going to come back to the pack, but the Rays are right there uh, with the Orioles behind them in the AL East, and we know that we are not 
done with the New York Yankees. They're not going anywhere. And the Toronto Blue Jays are pretty good. The Guardians got a half game lead over the Twins in the AL Central. The Rangers are two games up on the Astros. You got the Reds a game up on the Brewers in the Central. In the National League in the West is a, a very interesting race. Right now, you got the Dodgers and Diamondbacks on top. The Giants are just two and a half back. It feels like those Padres are lurking. So we, we got ourselves a really interesting second half of a baseball season coming up here. And we all know that the Giants, they need to, they need to do something, right? Well, the something that they need to do is continue to embrace this youth movement and making sure that guys are coming up and contributing that they have in their own farm system. Or they need to use some of those assets to trade for the player that could be a difference maker, either as a starting pitcher or another outfielder or infielder, whatever Farhan deems he needs the most. Um, there are two guys who could maybe help him get that. And it's coming. I saw that uh, Alex Pavlovich was saying that Elio Ramos can be back on a big league roster come July 18th after he hit the 60-day uh, IL with that oblique problem of his. Well, he's been playing minor league baseball, waiting to just get back up. Like he's he's ready to start playing again, but that 60-day DL stent wipes out the ability to bring him back before the 18th. So he's playing in Sacramento, and he was just named the Pacific Coast League's Player of the Week uh, for the final stretch of the first half. He went 14-29 over six games with four homers, a triple, and four doubles. Okay, that's good. Good to see Elio either doing that to show the Giants that he can show up and help, or he's a piece to be traded for help. And you know what? Joey Bart. Joey Bart doesn't seem to have much of a place in the Giants' long-term plans anymore. Could he possibly be used to trade for a player that could help you through your second half? Well, he just hit three home runs during a 10-game hitting streak. So Joey Bart is coming on in the minor leagues. Ramos is getting better. This is good news to either be used as players or used as pieces. I saw ESPN's power ranking about the second half, projecting that the Giants are on track for an 87 and 75 season. Now, that's not going to get them the division. They've got about a 13% chance, according to ESPN, to win the National League West, but they got a 62% chance of earning a spot in the postseason. So you better conduct business according to that. The Giants, without some sort of terrible collapse, are going to be a playoff team. Uh, the Giants' matchup-heavy approach, as it's written in this ESPN piece, um, has been pitching in pretty decent shape. Uh, heading into the second half, Logan Webb and Alex Cobb have combined for a 3.05 ERA and 35 starts. But aside from that, Anthony DiSclefani, um, uh, besides from Logan Webb, Alex Cobb, and Anthony DiSclefani, no giant starter has reached 60 innings. So they've been bullpenning an awful lot. They've been taxing their bullpen an awful lot. They got three guys who are absolutely doing it for them in their bullpen. Camilla Duvall and the Rogers twins. That trio's combined for a 2.62 ERA and a 105 whip in their first half appearances. But no other Giants reliever has seen 30 appearances but those guys. So they need to get more out of either what stripling Alex Wood is a starter, Sean Manaya, Jacob Junis coming out of that bullpen. I think that 
you know, a guy like Keaton Wynn is someone we're about to see an awful lot more of. Um, again, like Sean Manaya, Ross Stripling, you two guys either got to figure it out or you got to get the hell out of the way. Um, is this team, will the Giants call up Kyle Harrison in the second half? You know, there's an awful lot about the workload that he hasn't been through. That, to me, isn't an indication that he's not about to be called up. It's an indication that he could be called up because you're going to burn some major league innings in this guy that you've been decidedly not burning through in the minor leagues. So it feels like there is a plan to do that. Um, you know, that that is someone who could either be an opener a straight-up starter, you're asking to go five, six innings. He could be a bullpen guy. He could, I, I, I don't care how you use Kyle Harrison. If he's as unhittable as some of his minor league appearances have suggested, getting him up here feels like a really good idea. And when you talk about what needs to really happen for the Giants to come together in the second half, their pitching needs to figure itself out, find its own level, iron itself out, whatever you want to say there. And let's be honest, the resurgence of the Giants in what seemed to be kind of a dead-on-arrival year started with their use movement by bringing up Casey Schmidt and Patrick Bailey and, uh, and Luis Matos. And either Schmidt or Matos, right? Either one of those two guys, because it's at the point where Patrick Bailey, like I'm expecting him to just keep producing. Like Patrick Bailey looks like the Giants starting catcher for the next decade. He looks fantastic. He looks like he's posy. Straight up. That's an awful lot to put on a young catcher, but he looks like he's posy. He is in command of that catcher spot. Um, either Matos or Schmidt needs to get back to the hot start that they were having for this thing to really threaten the national league West for the giants to really not just be labeled as contenders, but to really earn the title of contender Schmidt or, or Matos need to just get back on that. We might be something special horse. They're good. They're serviceable. They're producing. They're producing as rookies. The league has made an adjustment back to them, and we've seen their hitting taper off. Time for one of those guys to make an adjustment back to the league. Time if one of those two rookies, Schmidt or Matos, at the end of this year has the kind of year that makes you think, man, awesome rookie year from one of those guys. Giants are going to do something this postseason. I don't know what that something is. Any step to the postseason begins with the first game of the second half. That is tonight. That is in Pittsburgh. It is an 11-game road trip for the Giants to open their second half. And it's going to be Ross Stripling with another chance to show that he belongs against old man Rich Hill. That is how the Giants begin their second half in Pittsburgh. Um, I really don't want to talk about the A's and what their second half is going to be because we know what it's going to be. It's going to be depressing. It's going to suck. Um, I will tell you this, that next year's schedules have come out, and, oh, what do you know? The A's are playing in Oakland. At least that's what Major League Baseball thinks. So are you ready to go through another, the rest of this year and all of next year? It's the topic that never ends. They never commit to Oakland. They never leave Oakland. But I know that there's a lot of traction that they will this time around. Sure, there always has been. There probably always will be. It never happens. I had a great conversation last night 
with JT the Brick. Boy, it's an interview. I think if you're an old school radio fan here in San Francisco, you're gonna awful you're gonna like an awful lot. Um, there's so much that ties JT and I's careers together. He's always been uh, uh, a real mentor in my career. We have shared the same studios, the sh- same microphones. The same teams that we have covered are linked not only because we both covered them when they were here, but obviously a lot of the teams that we both covered here picked up and left for the town that he is now in. You know, if the A's joined the Raiders, we had a comprehensive talk about moving and all the stuff that has happened. Um, I asked him, what is the local Las Vegas native feel about the not anyone who's coming to the strip not a tourist not someone who's there on a buddy's weekend but people who literally live in las vegas and basically never go to the strip if you live if you're a las vegas resident, going to the strip is like going to pier 39 you only do it when you got friends in town so how do locals feel about the a's coming to las vegas and he said lukewarm at best Like the city is just one big shrug. Like the business folks will be willing to do the business. These politicians want to have their names attached to this movement. They're the ones who are pushing this through. But there is just no clamoring for the A's at all in the local Las Vegas fans who will be, you know, part of the reason a team succeeds with all of those home games or not. You know, you just can't depend on nothing but tourists filling up your ballpark 35,000 a night. You got to have a local fan base. So there is no local fan base that is clamoring for the A's in Las Vegas. Before you know it, all this baseball talk is going to sort of start to drift away. And football talk is going to come drifting back into the show. And I cannot wait for that to happen. Cannot wait for NFL season to get underway. We're going to be relaunching the Plus on September 1st in a big, big way. Um, Really looking forward to that. Uh, I saw Dave Lombardi was writing about um, defensive line win rates. And this attaches itself to the conversation that we were having yesterday about Nick Bosa. And how Nick Bosa in the next two weeks is about to become one of the highest paid players in the history of football. He's going to be the highest paid defensive player in the history of football. It's going to happen in the next two or three weeks because if you're Nick Bosa, you're not stepping on a practice field without a new deal. And if you're the 49ers, you don't want that to happen. You want uh, you want that hunky-dory relationship to remain hunky-dory. One of the things that I think is going to spell a hunky-dory season for the reigning NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Nick Bosa, is Javon Hargrave's pass rush win rate. Dave Lombardi said that he's got the third best in football last year. Number one was Chris Jones in Kansas City, followed by Malik Collins. Then it was Javon Hargrave, who was winning pass rush win battles at 17%. The 49ers defensive tackles, writes Dave, combined for only three sacks all of last year. So an elite pass rushing addition at D-tackle, it certainly feels like a puzzle piece that the Giants, or excuse me, the 49ers needed to fill anyways, what you do to unleash Nick Bosa by filling in that piece, and then obviously Eric Armstead, woo! This is is going to be a fun football season for the 49ers. 
Um, there's an awful lot of talk about defensive linemen these days, an awful lot of talk about defensive linemen because Quinnen Williams, by the way, just got a mega deal with the New York jets four years, 96 million. He was spectacular last year. What is a damning note though, on the New York jets and a sequence of poorly run front offices is this note that came up and was spotted by Darren Ravel as he was tweeting the details of the Quinnen Williams uh, four-year, $96 million contract extension, is that he is the first Jets player selected in round one to sign a second contract with the organization since 2011. That was Muhammad Wilkerson. Wow. I mean, the first round one pick of the New York Jets to sign a second contract in New York since 2011. That's an awful lot of bad drafting or not drafting for the team that you actually have. That's that's bad. That's bad, Kai. It's bad. Uh, we are going to enter the chat here in just a little bit. Looking forward to that. Little club plus for you on the horizon today. Uh, Want to slip in a couple things in here though before we get to the back half of the show. Um, Postman and Capitola, thank you so much, Postman, oy, oy, oy! for all your support and love. He said, "I love that JT the Brick interview last night. That was an awful lot of fun. It was the two of us had fun just chatting together. It was like an old conversation um, with an old pal because that's exactly what it was." You know, we didn't plan a thing. We just turned on, hit record, and started talking. And it was great to catch up with someone who's just been a, a, a Bay Area staple for so many of you. I mean, a lot of your teenage, early 20 years were spent listening to JT the Brick, either on 1050 or Sports Fan Radio Network or Fox Sports or all the places that he's been, Mad Dog. Guy's just a one of the hardest working men in show business. And our conversation was awesome. I uh, whacked it up into a couple of things and videos that will be pushed out tonight and over the weekend. So you can either watch the full interview in its entirety some of the best 45 minutes of sports talk I think you're going to hear anywhere, or you can wait for the highlight reels to come out over the next few days. And those are coming your way. Uh, Eric Johnson says happy. Uh, yo boys, happy Friday. Sure. Enjoyed the JT convo last night as well. It's the new golden age when we're getting good content like that. Well, thank you very much, Eric. I'll tell you one of the things we talked about was how the golden age of radio is over and we are onto a whole new thing now. And hopefully we're getting better and better at it over here uh, at the Plus. You need to be able to evolve with the times. And that brings me to our friend in the chat all the time, Legends Pizza, who says that uh, they got creamy garlic chicken. Now, is that like uh, an Alfredo or is that like a creamy garlic chicken pizza? Because you had me at that. And then I, I, I scrolled down a little bit more and I saw this. Korean barbecue is a top seller. Korean barbecue pizza? Let me tell you, Legends Pizza, I'm going to have to come down and get a slice of that. Um, one of the best meals I ate last summer in Chicago was at a Korean-Polish fusion pop-up restaurant, which in Chicago was perfectly named Kimski's. <laughs> How perfect is that? Polish and Korean. Call it Kimski's. Um, it was great because when you think about it, Korean food is really like pork and cabbage. 
And what do you know? That's what Polish food is too. So bulgogi pierogies, like that works. And you can basically put any food that you think is delicious onto a pizza and it works. You know, Mexican pizza works. Seafood pizza works. Of course, Korean pizza would work. All right, legends, I might have to give you the home address after all. We might need one of those up here. But I'm trying to lose a little weight, too. So I don't, I don't, I, the last thing I need is another go-to. Got to eat more of that in my life. I do have two last stories to get to. One's a cheating story, and then one is telling the truth on a whole bunch of people who would rather lie. So here we go. This first one comes from... The grand old state of Tennessee. Did you see what happened to the Tennessee Volunteers football program? First of all, if I'm the Tennessee Volunteers football program, I don't think that there's any amount of discipline I could ever get from the NCAA that would bother me. I would just basically tell the NCAA, no. What are you going to do? You're the most feckless, powerless, governing body in sports. We're the SEC. We've got our own little fiefdom down here. We basically told the NCAA, we don't need you. And, uh, but, you know, they still do have to, I guess, live under that NCAA umbrella. We haven't advanced too far into the future for that to be completely irrelevant. The Tennessee Volunteers avoided a bowl ban, but were fined more than $8 million by the NCAA Division I Committee on Infractions after finding more than 200 individual infractions committed by the school during former coach Jeremy Pruitt's tenure. And again, if they found 200, that means there were 400 of these things. If they found 200, there were at least another couple hundred that they never even glommed on to, right? By the way, that's rampant cheating. That's not just like, yeah, you go ahead, you get that running back in here at any cost. Like you're 200 different infractions? Good Lord. So the team now has a five-year probation period. Uh, the volunteers are going to have to vacate all wins and individual records in any game in which the 16 individual sanctioned players participated in the specific games will be announced later. Um, 28 fewer scholarships, by the way, that is always my least favorite disciplinary tact. So we're going to give you 28 fewer scholarships to screw over a freshman class that had nothing to do with the cheating that we're accusing you of. I hate that. That of all the ways to discipline a team, taking scholarship opportunities away from kids in high school is one of the worst ways to do it, in my opinion. Tennessee charged with 18 level one violations in July of 2022. Included among the more 200 infractions were charges of $60,000 in impermissible benefits. And both Jeremy Pruitt and his wife, Casey, were making cash payments to players' families. Like, that's that's why Tennessee has to go down hard here. Like, you're not even trying to be discreet. If you got the head coach and his wife not even insulating themselves with any plausible deniability, but they're part of cash payments... Like, that's even a little bit too bold for the SEC, right? Pruitt's received a six-year show cause and would be suspended for the first full season of any team that would actually hire him. This guy's been out of football for a while now. And what's amazing is all the cheating 
that was done on this guy's watch. Tennessee was cheating its dick off, and they got nothing to show for it other than an $8 million fine because Pruitt went 16 and 19, and those 16 wins will be like they never even happened. So they got nothing to show for it. A guy who sucked as a head coach cheated his crank off to just suck as a head coach. Mwah. Gotta love sports. Oh, that was the sip of the day. That one hit. That absolutely hit. Like I told you, I wanted to tell you about a cheater, and then I just wanted to debunk a little lie because, you know, there are a lot of things, and we've talked about this a few shows in a row, that are always touted as the harbinger of San Francisco being a dying, decaying city that will never come back. Let me tell you, it was beautiful downtown, blue skies. There was nothing dire than decaying yesterday. What a gorgeous day. What a gorgeous city. I cannot wait to get to a Grateful Dead show tonight, and San Francisco is going to be one big collective hug inside of 24 Willie Mays Plaza tonight. It's going to be special. It's going to be emotional. I love it. I love San Francisco. We talked about how Anchor Steam is shutting down. And again, all the people who want to just trash San Francisco at any moment use this as another example, the way that they use the Westfield Mall closure. Even though Westfield Mall is closing malls in all 50 states, the one that was done on Market Street was the one that hit the front page of the New York Times. Another example of San Francisco dying. And again, I will be the first to admit we got our problems, problems that feel a lot solvable, more solvable than they've been to the people in charge of solving these problems. But I saw a really good Facebook post coming out of the restaurant brewer bartender community about Anchor Steam. And I'm sorry I can't attribute to who wrote this. I saw it on my buddy Greg's Facebook page. And GQ is big time tied into the bar restaurant business. He says, on the closing of Anchor Brewing, it's pretty frustrating to see their press release take the typical San Francisco cop out and blame it on high production costs to piggyback off people thinking that San Francisco is now in a state of decay. You know, they, they, they sold most of their beer to bars and restaurants and bars and restaurants are dying in San Francisco. So this is, you know, it's San Francisco's fault that for the first time in a, nearly 130 years, it can't support anchor brewing shame on you. San Francisco is the way a lot of people were reacting to this story. Well, as this Facebook point points out, Really, what happened was a big, huge foreign business bought a local staple. They tried to brute force it through their own business practice. They failed galactically almost immediately and now have to liquidate a 130-year-old brand. Sapporo bought Anchor Steam. Thought Anchor Steam could be Sam Adams, a local brewery that goes national. Well, they changed the logo, which I think was one of their first huge mistakes, that iconic anchor logo with the anchor and then the rope around it. They changed that to something that looked like a minor league hockey jersey. And I think for a lot of people, 
it started losing its appeal right there. And again, they they tried to implement a business model that was never supposed to be the business model that lended success to Anchor Steam. So people seriously need to stop talking about how everything in San Francisco is only San Francisco's problem. This seems to be more of a Sapporo Japan problem than it was San Francisco. So I just wanted to point that out. I wanted to point out how much I've enjoyed this week. Thank you very much. One of the slowest weeks of the entire sports year went by pretty fast here, didn't it? Hopefully that means you're going to be back for more of what we do. Hopefully that means you have now found us and you plan on sticking around, hitting that subscribe button, hitting that like button, and becoming part of this community that we're officially building. You know, it's not the biggest robust community that I've ever seen on, on, on YouTube, but you know what? There are hundreds upon hundreds of people doing this every single day together and hanging out and chatting together. And it's, it's incredible what we got going on. And again, it's the downtime. People are on summer vacations. We don't even have any football to sell you yet. And we've got a dedicated group showing up day after day. It means so much to me and Jillian and the entire family. Thank you very, very much for being as loyal and as wonderful audience members as you've proven yourselves to be time and time again, supporting me, supporting my sponsors, supporting the Ganja Jar. It means an awful lot, especially on a night where we're going to see a Grateful Dead show. Thank you for filling the Ganja Jar. Um, you're all awesome. You're fantastic. And I thank you. If you missed that, JT interview you go ahead and find it it's also up now in podcast form so you can find it there hopefully you download it hopefully you enjoyed it hopefully you have a great weekend in the meantime before we get into club plus here on youtube i just want to tell everyone listening on the podcast thank you so much for stopping by and please do remember that sports don't build character they reveal it and like that whew, he's gone